Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Peter chapter 1. About a year after Peter had written to those certain saints in the area that we know of today as the modern nation of Turkey, the persecution of Nero continued. His attack on Christianity and Christians. Therefore, Christians everywhere were affected by the relentless pursuit of Nero, who had turned Roman citizens against Christians and Christianity. So for the year between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, <clears throat> the persecution and the suffering of Christians continues, grows even. And so 2 Peter, written about a year after 1 Peter, around 65 AD or so, is written to a larger swath of uh, believers there are three chapters in Second Peter. The first chapter is a, a chapter of, uh, of encouragement. It, 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 uh, Peter is talking about uh, how our walk with the Lord should deepen and grow as we live in the faith. The second chapter has to do, it's a fairly fierce attack on false teaching and false doctrine. And then the third chapter is another encouragement for the believer regarding the second coming of Christ. So we're dealing here with uh, the, the, the soft uh, encouragement and instruction and admonition and even blessing of Peter to the Christians because as they live in Christ, they must understand, we must understand who we are in Christ. And therefore we must, through this encouragement, understand that our walk with the Lord is a continuing thing that is not stay. It, it deepens as we go with the Lord. So this is what he's talking about here. Within two years of his writing Second Peter, historians tell us that both Peter and his wife will be executed together by Nero. And in that same two-year period uh, that follows Second Peter, Paul will be executed as well, the Apostle Paul. So Nero is going after uh, obviously, uh, the leaders of Christianity and, and Christians wherever he can. So now Christians are having to live in the middle of those across the empire who think of Christians as enemies. First Peter, you remember, Peter taught them how to live just 
Be sincere Christians and they'll know that the things of which you're accused are, are not true. They're false and you're not that kind of person. But now here, it goes even farther in the admonition that it is important that we understand once we're in Christ, we are walking with the Lord and to walk with the Lord is to grow in the Lord and to mature in the faith. So let's look at it here, beginning in verse one. And I have four divisions here in these 11 verses and I may not, I don't know, I hope I can get through 11 of them. Somebody told me it was, we set back an hour, so I had an extra hour, is that right? <laughs> so here we are presently, Peter writes to the believer. Simon Peter takes both of his names, his family name, Simon Barjona, Simon son of John. Also the name which Christ gave him, Peter. Petros. And every time we look at that name and every time he mentions that name, and Peter, as a matter of fact, in the four gospels, is mentioned more than anyone else except for Christ, of course, himself. Back in, was it Matthew 16, Caesarea Philippi, a little R&R for Jesus to remove himself from the pressing crowds so that he could have some quality time with his disciples. And so he would go into an area where he was not that well known, not quickly recognized, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, a city built by Herod, and he named it after himself and after Caesar, Herod Philip, Herod, Philip, Philip Herod, and Caesar. Fairly large city. It's an interesting city. According to historians, it was, it was built of stones hewn out of the rocks, the big, huge rocks that were there uh, in this rise, this hill. So the builders of the city carved out smaller building stones, and uh, that's what they used to build the buildings of Caesarea Philippi. Christ with his disciples asks them this question because his crucifixion is nearing. His disciples must be taught. Jesus asked, who do, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And there were replies, and it seems like it was a lighthearted moment. They must have chuckled and laughed. Some say, you're Jeremiah the prophet, you're John the Baptist, come back from the day, you're one of the prophets. And after the laughter died for a moment, in my opinion, the way as it must have looked, Christ would have very seriously looked at them. He asked this question directly, but who do you say that I am? Peter immediately answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Caesarea Philippi was littered with temples to gods and goddesses all of which or whom didn't live at all. They were never alive. This is just a bunch of dead people, dead images. You are the Christ, the son of the God who lives, the living God. Jesus said, 
you are right, Peter, but you didn't think up this on your own. Flesh and blood didn't teach you this. My father in heaven is the one who gave you this information. So Peter, you know, shouldn't think too highly of himself. You can only receive that kind of revelation divinely that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's our savior, God, the son. And he said, and you, now Simon is about to get his new name. And you are Petros. It's in the diminutive in the Greek, it's in the masculine. And it speaks of a small building block. Immediately, the illustration would have been right in front of them. And on this Petra, different word. It's in the feminine. It's, it speaks of a big boulder, a huge rock, a, a rock that could be used as a foundation on which the other smaller stones would be placed. You are Petros. You are a, a building block. And on this pronouncement, on this profession of faith, on the declaration that only the Father can give to you that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on this I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Believers surely he wouldn't be called Peter if Christ had not given him that name. Surely then whenever, especially in the early church, when they saw the name Peter, it would have reminded them of how he came about this name. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. A slave has a master and he must do his master's will. An apostle, the word up there means one who is, one who is uh, sent forth, apostolos, one who is sent forth. An apostle has a commander. So Simon Peter has a master and a commander. And he has to do what he is told to do. The master gives to him his job description. The commander sends him forth to perform his duty and accomplish his job, his task. So he identifies himself then. I'm in obedience to the master and I'm sent forth by the commander, the king. A slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those having obtained, and I have to add to that by divine allotment because the word has within it that very meaning up here, lakusin, having obtained by divine allotment. And he's going to speak about faith here. Having obtained an equally precious faith. The word equally precious comes from a, the, the single Greek, uh, it means that our faith 
has equal value. Even though he is an apostle, his faith and my faith are are given by the same divine power to those having obtained by divine allotment. So you can't boast of it. It's something that God does for us. I tell you all the time, faith is a gift. You, you, you cannot claim that faith has come forth from you. It only comes forth because God first gave it to you. And then the faith is yours, faith in Christ is yours by divine allotment. So he's talking to the real deal. He's talking to genuine Christians. That's going to mean something as we go through this passage of scripture. To those having obtained by divine allotment an equally precious faith with ours. We have the same kind of faith. Our faith was given to us as apostles. We have nothing of which we can boast, neither do you. Our faith and your faith are of equally precious value. It's my experience that the longer I go in life, the more I realize the greatness of the value of faith. It's my belief that my recognition of that value or the value of the faith really will only increase because into the ages of the ages, the more that I get to know about God and his Christ, the more precious, the more costly, the more worthy this faith will make itself to be, to me, and to you. Equally precious faith with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is his righteousness and not mine. I cannot claim righteousness. All I can claim is Christ. Christ is the one who is righteous. I am in Christ, therefore I am in his righteousness, not mine. He had to come and redeem me from what I was. I have no, I don't have righteousness. It is by his righteousness, therefore I have obtained by divine allotment. God has given to me this Valuable, precious faith through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith in him. I I could never stand in the presence of God. I could never attain the holy entrance to heaven if I were never given the righteousness that is not mine but that is the righteousness of the Son of God. Therefore, in his death, by shedding his blood on the cross, he saved me, he redeemed me, he purchased me, 
He bought me with precious blood and has given to me, divinely allotted to me, precious faith. It's because of his righteousness. He surrendered himself on the cross for his own of whom I'm one. Thank God. Righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Plethenthane, be multiplied. Here's what that says. You are given grace and peace and in your life, in Christ, it increases exponentially. I have to tell you, earlier in my life, way earlier as a, as a believer, even in early years, in the years of maturing, I sort of understood grace, but the longer I live, the more I understand it. And because it has come from an infinitely loving God, I will never exhaust the meaning of this wonderful gift. It is exponentially increased in my life as I go. As I mature in the faith, grace and peace are multiplied. The things in my life as a younger believer that were so tumultuous and so upsetting just don't seem to be so tumultuous now. So upsetting. As you go through life, of course, as a Christian, you will face trials and troubles because of who you are in Christ. You will suffer because of who you are in Christ. That only serves, it is by the will of God and his purpose, divinely designed to help you be strong in the faith. You are being built up in the faith. This is how grace and peace are being multiplied to me. How does it, how, how does it come upon me? Here it is. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. You should know if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you should have discovered new things about our God and Savior Jesus Christ that you know this year that you wouldn't have known last year. Maybe just one thing, I don't know. Something that you never thought about before. But it has, the Holy Spirit, your teacher, has brought it into your spirit. He has borne witness with your spirit and the grace and the peace being multiplied to you because of your knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. The study of the precious holy word of God. And it strengthens us and we, we delve into it more deeply as we go through the years. God help the one who claims to be a Christian and has not grown in the faith. 
It's unimaginable to me. Someone born into the family of God and yet rebels against being a part of the family of God. Matter of fact, Peter is going to deal with that here in this passage. Accordingly, his divine power has given to us, his divine power has given to us all things toward life and piety as godless, God, godly living. This, you see the word toward, that means, that means what's said before that is moving to a goal. What is the goal for us? Life and piety. Godliness. To be more aware of God. His divine power has given to us all things toward life and piety. He is carrying me toward the goal. My life, Paul writes to the Philippians and he talks about how our goal, our prize, the upper calling, upward calling of God in Christ. And then he goes on and talks about our citizenship in heaven. We're moving towards something that is far better than what exists now for us. His divine power gives us all things to move us in this direction, toward life and piety. Now remember, these Christians are suffering. They're being persecuted. Some of them who read this, I'm sure, were even killed, martyred because of their faith in Christ. Here it is. Through the knowledge of the one having called us by his own glory and excellence. Now the word knowledge here, let me, let me go back. You have the word knowledge here. Epignose. Epi upon gnosos. That which has been learned. So you're adding something. And it's in the knowledge. We're adding to it. Same word is used here. Through the epignos, through the epignosios, the knowledge of the one having called us by his own glory and excellence. His own glory and excellence. Excellence is his... Uh, his high personal endowment and his glory is his worth. By his, own, by his own worth and personal endowment, he has called us by who he is and his, his highest of all statuses. You can't get any higher than God. His divine power given to us all things toward life and piety through the knowledge of the one having called us by his own glory and excellence. Here again is the truth that it is all of thee and none of me. And he does it according to who he is. He's the highest of all. And 
He is so thus endowed in this excellence. He is so thus personally endowed that through this highest of all endowments, he calls his own to himself by his own worth, his own glory, and his own excellence. He does this himself because of who he is, and he loves me. This is so amazing. Through which he has given to us the precious. Now, is it word again? And it means to have, it means to have a high value, the highest of values. He has given to us the precious and magnificent. Uh, Magista comes from Maga. Maga, you hear a lot about that, right? It's not that one. This is the other one. Mega, maga, mega, great, greatness, large. The precious and the greatest of all greats promises. Scholars will tell you who have counted these things in the New Testament that there are 7,474 promises God has made to his people. Your mission, should you be willing to accept it, is to count them and come back next week and tell me if I missed one. 7,474. He has given to us the precious and magnificent promises. How did he do it? What did he do? Through the knowledge, upon knowledge, upon, it's experiential, it's a personal relationship knowledge. I know it because it was a personal experience that has been absorbed into my life. That's what this word knowledge means. And so it became, um, it became an essential knowledge within my existence. So through the knowledge of one having called us by his own glory and excellence, through which he has given to us he has given to us. He has given to us. It's, it's in the perfect, it is in the perfect, middle, perfect middle voice. Well, that's interesting. Yes, it is. It's interesting. To be in the perfect voice means that it happened. It happened, it won't unhappen, and it has continuing results on and on and on. So his call has happened. He did it, you see, and it has continuing results. But to be in the middle voice means that the subject participates in this which he has given to the recipient. So he's, he's, going to, he's going to join me in this thing. That's what he means in the text, in the original text up there. So that through these promises, you might become partakers, sharers, partakers, 
of the divine nature, having escaped the decay, decay, it means that the rot that occurs in death, corruption, having escaped, another form of the word means to be rescued, having escaped the decay, the corruption in the world by passionate desire. Now, passionate desire speaks of human nature. The believer lives as a partaker of the divine nature. So we're born again. We have one struggle in this life that the, the New Testament completely, it teaches us how we have to be aware of this and we have to struggle with it, which is namely, we still live in fallen flesh, but we have a divine nature. So in this divine nature, the impetus within us is to try to be more like Christ. Divine nature. We are partakers. That's a, that's a big thought. Partakers of the divine nature. That's who we are in Christ. We've been rescued from the dying rot of the world. You see what the Bible says? The present world is dying. It's rotten. It stinks. It is filled with corruption. That's the world. How do we stand against it yet still being in this fallen flesh because we're not glorified yet? We're sanctified, having been justified, but we're not glorified. So how do we move along in this sanctification? Well, as partakers of the divine nature, we seek in this life as much as we can to defeat the human nature by the power of the divine nature which is in us. Now, the, the world doesn't have that. The world doesn't care about that. The world doesn't want to do that. The world wants to go along with the world. Do the things of the world. Follow along with the world. Believers cannot do that. You just can't do it. Why? Because we are partakers of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit has been deposited into our lives. There is the divine nature that causes us to struggle with and fight against the passionate desires. Now, sometimes that word uh, that word can be uh, that word can be uh, translated as as lust. Maybe it's that translation in your Bible. But it is the passionate desire to get along with the world, to please the world, to seek the pleasure of the world. In this life, the human nature, which is a fallen nature. The fallen nature of Adam is condemned. And that's why Christ said, you must be born again. 
Adam, in Adam, we're taught in the Bible, all die. In Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So this is the divine nature that exists within us, rescued us from the stinking death, the corruption in the world, which manifests itself in human life through passionate desire. Well, we don't, once the divine nature has come within our hearts, we have a new set, we have a new direction. We have a new set of desires. We, we, have, a new, we have a new goal in life. And the world just doesn't mean anything anymore. It's the things of God that means so much to us in our lives. So then, that's who we are presently. Peter goes on and says, now you know where you are, let's build on that. So here is what is pursuant to us. Now for this very reason, for what very reason? Let's go back, divine power and divine nature. For this very reason, Having, having brought in or applying all diligence, and the Greek word has the implication with all diligence, with speed and haste. Don't waste any time. Supplement, furnish, supply into your faith these things. Okay, faith is foundational. These things are added to faith or they come to cling to faith. The first is virtue, which the Greek word means moral goodness. Into virtue, knowledge. Now that's a different word. Well, it's the same word, but it's a different word. It's not epignosis, it's gnosis, gnosis. In, in, the, in the phrase here, uh, gnose, knowledge. Well, if you're learning things, then the body of knowledge is building and you know more about Christ and grace and, and peace. You know more about our God and Savior Jesus Christ, his word. You know more than you did last year or the year before or in the early years of your Christian life. So now that's a body of knowledge, you see. So that's what the Greek word means here. And into virtue, to moral goodness, a body of knowledge. Supplement that into your faith. Then into knowledge, self-control. To be the master, the master of the sphere in which you live. Self-mastery, self-control. Then into self-control, endurance. Then into endurance, piety, godly living. Living in a way that pleases God. Then into piety, Brotherly affection. You see that? Philadelphian. Brotherly love. Brotherly love. Phileo Adelphos. Love, brother. But then there's one higher than that, and it's this one. And then into brotherly affection, love. Agape. For the believer, we understand 
This is a, this is a love that does not come naturally. It is a God-given thing for us. It's a God-given love because of Christ in us. God through Christ in us. Now here's the proof, okay? Here's where you are now. Here's what you need to be in pursuit of. And here is the proof that you are who you are as a Christian. For these being in you and abounding make you neither idle nor unfruitful. The word idle in the Greek text, uh, argus, means lazy, not doing what is expected, means to be barren. It's also translated barren. For these things being in you, what things? The things that you're pursuing in life that are added to faith. This proves who you are. These things being in you and abounding make you neither idle or lazy nor unfruitful. God is up to something in your life. I've told you many times, we are saved, Ephesians, we are saved to good works. Salvation has, the call to salvation has built within it the giftedness that is required so that thus Christ can perform through us. And I submit that we do these things in Christ without even realizing that, we're, that Christ is, this is just who we are in the divine nature. It's working itself out. Salvation works itself out. So then these things that work themselves out in a Christian that are in you and are abounding means that you're neither idle nor unfruitful. That means that God is up to, if you're a real Christian, this is very important. If you are a real Christian, God, Christ in you, is accomplishing something to the glory of God in the work of Christ in this world. That is a heavy thought. You're neither idle nor unfruitful. As to the knowledge, now that is the, that's the, the, the first, the first word that we talked about. Upon knowledge. As to the gaining in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in whomever these things are not present, this is very important. He's blind. Being nearsighted. Let me tell you something. Presently, to me, you are an ill-defined blur. That's all. I know that my family sits right here. I know that. And I, I know where some of them, don't fool me some Sunday and sit somewhere else if I don't have my glasses on. I know where some of you always sit. There's nothing wrong with that. You're doing it because I might lose my glasses. <laughs> what he's saying is this. 
you can't even see. In whomever these things are not present, these things that we just looked at upon which you, you, you supplement to your faith, you furnish your faith. He is blind, being nearsighted, having forgotten the purification from his former sins. Now the purification here is a, it's a, it's, it's in the noun form. It's, it's a, it's like it was meaningless. I'm oblivious to it. Being oblivious to what God supposedly has done for me, I can't see anything that I need to be doing. That has really disturbed me in my study this week. I think back through the years to illustrate not just this church, but all five of the churches where I've pastored. Walk the aisle, respond in a revival or a crusade, many of them coming weeping with emotion, never to be seen or heard from again. Many of them. I don't even know how many members we have. That used to be an important thing to me, but I, I don't. The numbers of them, only God knows really who is a member of this church. But I know that I've pastored churches, the membership of which would number into the several thousands, five, six, thousand, seven, thousand. I've never seen attendance like that. I've never seen thousands of people go to work for the Lord. Never have. Now, I can't say what they did in their spare time. You know, I'm out here sitting under a tree praising God. Did you know Pan is the God of nature? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. But it, and I can't judge people. I don't know hearts and, but I think of all of those people. Did they put their glasses on? Do they, are they blind? What, what has happened to them? Having, having forgotten, having put into oblivion the purification from his former sins. Now, I got I to gotta finish this. I don't care if I'm late or not. If you need to go to the bathroom, go ahead. I don't care. You're not any older than I am. <laughs> said, man, I wish he wouldn't have said go to the bathroom. Here we go. Final thing, practice. Look what he says. Having just left the thought of those who apparently were never in Christ. Here's what he says. Therefore, brothers, rather be diligent to make your calling and election sure. What gives me assurance? Other than, of course, the beautiful, comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. Practicing these things. 
This is part of life to me. Those seven things, that list of seven things that are furnished into faith, you will never stumble. You know what that word stumble? Um, it, it, uh, it means to err, to stumble, to err, to be in error. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. My advice to anyone who thinks of himself or herself as a Christian, here's my advice. Read the Bible all the time. Humble yourselves daily before God and pray without ceasing. Get in church. And God Almighty, if you're for real, he'll show you something you can do. And it may not be anything that you have to put on display in front of everybody. That's, that doesn't make any difference that God would perform something in your life, that you're actually fruitful and not barren or idle, but that God in your real faith is moving in your life in this world to his glory. That's my advice to you. That's Peter's advice. The Holy Spirit through Peter the advice for those of us who claim to be in Christ. And if we're in Christ, those things are already real to us anyway, right? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. If you came here without Christ, I'm praying that God will call you into his salvation. And when he calls, you'll know it. As you leave this place, we have deacons and wives just across the hall, standing in the doorways of rooms just across the hall as you leave, ready there to pray with you about God's call to Christ. Maybe you're here, already a believer. God leads you to come and be a part of Shiloh. They are prepared to pray with you and to talk with you about that as well. For now, let's all stand prayerfully all over this room and be dismissed in prayer.